Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. More on our special Space Week programming now with the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. We're talking all things space. Got one of the best guests around on that now, Chris Gaynor. He's a space exploration historian. He's the author of the book, The Bomb and America's Missile Age. He's writing a history of the NASA uh, Hubble Telescope. Uh, he's the president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. He is a busy man, taking some time for us today. Hiya, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks a lot for coming on. Let's talk about uh, one of the big uh, big advancements in space, especially for Canadians and, our, and the way we go about our daily lives, and that's the revolution in, in satellites and satellite communications for Canada. And I see we recently launched uh, some new satellites, but Canada's been putting satellites up there for a long time, right? That's right. Our first satellite was Alouette in 1962. Uh, although it was launched by the U.S., uh, Alouette represented uh, Canada as kind of the third nation to go into space after, after the U.S. and Russia. Um, wow. So Alouette was kind of a scientific satellite, but uh, in 1971, Canada became the first country to launch its own domestic communication satellite, uh, the ANIC uh, satellite. And uh, there's still kind of newer generation ANIC satellites uh, in operation. What has been the impact of those satellites? How did it change uh, the way Canadians go about their daily lives? They're used for all sorts of communications, you know, telephones and television were the, the first ones, of course. But there, there's all sorts of other things. I was actually just uh, preparing for this talk. I, I, I looked up uh, a situation where a satellite went on the blink uh, in 1998, and it knocked out pager service all over the U.S. Wow. And, uh, and, and a lot of gas pumps didn't operate because they couldn't do credit checks on people. It's it it's just worked its way into so much of what we do. You know, when you pay with a, a credit card and they always check to see if it, if uh, if the card is kosher. A lot of that is done by satellite. There's just there's just all sorts of things, and and you know we often forget about it until a satellite goes on the blink, and then we <laughs> get a bit of an education. Yeah, probably people don't realize just how much we rely on them on a, on a daily basis. How about uh, how about getting weather reports? I mean, a lot of people will check, I'll check the weather on my phone. That's got a satellite connection too, right? That's right. We've had you know weather satellites up for uh, you know sixty years almost now, and they give us kind of a good overhead view of what the weather is. You know, not only overhead uh, where we live, but also way out in the oceans where they may not be monitored. So that's kind of an important part of the whole thing. Another really important thing is GPS. Right. Um, you know, 
Could you imagine if we lost the G- GPS satellites? There'd be absolute chaos because we've become very used to, uh, you know, ha- having those things in the phone and helping us find, you know, that, uh, that, that confusing house out in the suburbs. And- Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is it time to change your approach and switch to Air Supra, albuterol budesonide? Now you can virtually connect with a doctor to discuss your options and see if it's time to make a change. If appropriate, you may even be able to get a prescription for Air Supra the same day. Talk to a doctor today and see if Air Supra is right for you. Visit airsupraconnect.com to connect with a provider. Things like that. Uh, but it's it's just become such an important part of, of, our, of our lives. And that only really started to come in in the 1990s, uh, GPS. Yeah, no, we really do rely on those GPS apps on our phones these days for sure. And that's another one that if, boy, if that went down, it would, it would certainly cause, cause a lot of problems. We got some new, uh, new Canadian satellites going up recently too. Okay. Well, uh, a week or two ago, uh, the uh, radar sat constellation satellites were, were launched. Right. And, um, these, uh, these are the latest in a series of satellites that Canada has launched, I think starting uh, back in, in the 1990s. And what they do is, uh, is instead of using light to look at the Earth, they, they bounce r- radar off, off the uh, surface of the Earth, uh, which means they can be used any time of the day. Uh, they aren't dependent on having light, and, and they aren't bothered by clouds. Clouds, and um, they have all sorts of uses. They can, you know, follow changes in land use and things like that. Uh, they can monitor the oceans for uh, for pollution because, like, when you dump oil in the ocean, the slick shows up differently on the the radar signature. It uh, it can follow events like floods and and uh, icebergs and 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 also. Uh, also, even shipping and things like that, they have all, all sorts of uses, and, uh, and Canada has become a, a leader in that. It's called uh, Synthetic Aperture Radar, uh, which, which produces the uh, uh, kind of these images done by radar. And today I just saw the first image that came down from uh, RadarSat Constellation. It showed, it was just kind of a test shot of uh, one of the islands up in the Arctic. Amazing technology for sure, Chris. We're looking back 50 years at the Apollo 11 uh, moon mission. Are you old enough to remember the uh, the landing there back in 1969? Oh, I, I sure was. And if, 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 uh, if I was sitting with you, you wouldn't even need to ask me the question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, You'd what see do you how remember? old I was. <laughs> what do you remember from that day? Well... I had first gotten into space uh, back in the Mercury days with uh, John Glenn and all that, and I 
at that point, I've been waiting for years for Apollo 11, so I was all excited and 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 ready to go. So uh, so yes, I just I just spent like the whole day in front of the TV, you know, watching the landing, which took place in the afternoon, yeah. and then a few hours later when uh, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin when uh, did their uh, their two hour moonwalk, and of course that was long before Michael Jackson came along. <laughs> I remember it too. I was just a kid, but I vividly remember uh, being huddled in front of the TV set with the whole family, and that was an exciting moment. As we've been hearing on uh, Global News this week as well, Chris, we've been talking about the Canadian connection to the Apollo 11 uh, mission. And I think maybe not a lot of Canadians might know that there was a, com- a Canadian a component to this. Yes, there's a, there's a couple of things worth talking about. One of them is that the... Uh, uh, the legs for the lunar modules were made in uh, at a place called uh, Eru Machine Parts, now Eru DevTech, which is in the suburbs of Montreal. And all those legs are still standing on the moon because the, the descent stages were left behind when the astronauts, you know, returned to the mothership. So there's a there's a little bit of Canada on the moon. The other part is. is has to do with a controversial story. Uh, in nine, ten years before the moon landing, our federal government canceled the Avro Aero uh, jet program. Oh yes, and uh, uh, people are still arguing about that. But uh, there are all these engineers without a job, and NASA came up to Canada and and, and hired about thirty-two of them. Uh, now some of them were Canadian, some of them had come from from Britain. Uh, but uh, they all uh, w- went down to uh, to NASA eventually to Houston and worked on the uh, uh, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo. A couple of them are worth mention. One is a guy named Jim Chamberlain, who is actually one of the top people at uh, uh, on the Aero program. He basically designed the Gemini spacecraft, which flew in the mid '60s and kind of got the astronauts uh, and the controllers ready for Apollo uh, and did, you know, there was the, the uh, you, you know, you can see Gemini, for example, in the, that movie about Neil Armstrong because yeah. he flew in Gemini first. And he also kind of helped NASA decide how they were going to go to the moon in, involving the, the lunar module and the mothership. The other person worth mentioning is Owen Maynard, who became one of the top people in the Apollo program and and helped design the missions that led to the moon landing. And also, he was the head of systems engineering, as they called it. And it kind of meant that he was in charge of making sure that everything worked together. You know, one spacecraft, the lunar module, was built by one contractor, and the other part was command service module was built by somebody else, and it had to interact with the rocket and the tracking systems and the recovery and the launch pad and everything else. That was his job. So, uh, um, and other Canadians helped out with the tracking and the computers. And, and yeah. when the Apollo 11 astronauts came back to Earth, the first person they met was a fellow from uh, Vancouver Island. Wow. Um, it was a guy named Dr. Bill Carpenci, and he mm-hmm. was... He was a, a, a doctor 
who was trained to jump out of the helicopter, and he was locked in the quarantine with the uh, Apollo 11 astronauts. You might remember there was a slight chance there, and a concern that there might be germs on the moon, so they were quarantined for a couple of weeks. Those are some of the Canadian aspects to Apollo 11. It's nice to know that there was a Canadian element to the Apollo 11 mission, and it's a good reminder for Canadians that we can be proud as we look back on the 50th anniversary this week. Hey, Chris, thanks a lot for coming on today. My pleasure. I appreciate it a lot. That is Chris Gaynor. He is the president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada.